Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Last week, we started a series called Kingdom Culture, and uh, we started by talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're here, you remember that what we did is we talked about three areas of relationship and how the Sermon on the Mount really is something that's based on relationship, right? It's Jesus's invitation to us into a different kind of relationship. The world has one very, very clear, distinctive set of relationships and the way it functions, and so does the kingdom. And Jesus is inviting us into that place. And so we started to talk about that there are three areas of relationship that are shaped by a kingdom culture. We talked about our up relationship, which is our relationship with God. We used a triangle to illustrate this. We looked at our in relationships, where are our discipleship relationships, the relationships with people that we walk with, that, that they challenge us. We give them permission to challenge us in our walk with Jesus. And we also bring challenge to their life, something that is sometimes way easier said than done correct? Right? To actually say, yeah, I'm giving you permission to actually call me out on stuff. Like nobody likes that. Right? But it is a kingdom way of living. And then the out relationships, which are these relationships with people where all we are doing is introducing and representing Christ to the world. This is what we're called to do. It's the great commission. It's what Jesus asked us to do, to go into all the world, to preach the good news, to baptize and to make disciples, right? This is what he called us to do. And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that it fits into and that the, our, our kingdom culture, our life of the kingdom is shaped in these three specific areas. Today, what I want to do today is, is jump right into the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. It's a very, very famous passage of scripture. And I'm only going to get through one today because there's a lot you know, I love how the Bible works and I love how Jesus is, right? Jesus can say one phrase and we can spend forever on it, right? I mean, it's, it's like, they're, they're, it's so rich because it's so counterculture and it challenges us and helps us to grow, right? So he can say one sentence and we're like, well, I'll be there for the rest of my life, right? Anybody else? God's spoken something to you and you're still mulling it over, right? I, th I feel like sometimes, I feel like sometimes it's really hard coming week after week and getting new messages because it's like, but I wasn't done with what he talked to me last week about, you know, like I'm still, I'm still there. Right. And so, uh, so we have to really understand when we hear messages like this and understanding what, what the takeaway is for us and allowing the Holy spirit to do something in our life. Cause if not, man, it can end up like a laundry list right? Like, oh my goodness, I have, to, I have work to do in every area of my life, which is true. You do. You do. You are a messed up individual saved by grace. Congratulations. Uh, but, uh, but, but sometimes we have to be able to just grab a hold of, of one thing. Today, I want to give you one thing, and that is out of the first of the Beatitudes. In fact, it's actually just the first word of the message, if we look at Matthew 5, the first word out of Jesus' mouth before he says anything else, blessed. Blessed. He starts everything he's going to say by looking at the people that are gathered around. 
The setup of this scene is that he was with his disciples and he had called the 12, he'd chosen the 12. They went down and they were healing and casting out demons and performing miracles. And and Jesus had this compassion as the shepherd over his people. And he cared for them and and he, he poured out love upon them. And then he said that he went up on a hill and he sat down on the hill and he called his disciples together. And then everybody else flocked around too because they wanted to hear. And he looks out at this crowd of people that is not just a crowd, but it's a massive group of individuals who he created and loved. And he looks at them as if to look into each one of their eyes and their hearts and says, blessed. Blessed. Now, this is a really cool thing for Jesus to say. I think I should probably start starting all of my messages this way. You know, good morning. Thank you for coming to One Life. Blessed. That's it. You can go home now. (laughs) But there's so much more to it than this, because if you look at the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament ends with this word. If we look at Malachi 4 and verse 6. And he, speaking of Jesus, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Last word of the Old Testament was curse. I don't think it's any coincidence that the first word that Jesus said is blessed. Why? Because he had come. And now, the blessing that the world needed, the, the, the forgiveness, the, the joy, the love, the fulfillment, all of this was right there. You've been living under this curse and the effects of this curse, blessed. Everyone's going, whoa, well, that feels kind of good. Now, here's, here's kind of why this, again, is so important. At the end of Malachi, Malachi was the last prophet to prophesy. And it was 400 years, they call them the silent years, between when Malachi prophesied and when, G, and when John the Baptist came and started to declare that Jesus was coming. 400 years when God had not spoken anything new to his people. 400 years of not hearing anything. Can you imagine what kind of a hopeless situation that would be? 400 years, people going, is God still around? Like, did he just up and leave and left us and now we're here on our own? 400 years, in that 400 years, a lot had happened. Malachi prophesied in the year 430 BC. In 204 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was Syrian, came and captured Israel. So once again, Israel went into captivity. Great. So we're not hearing from God, and now we're in captivity. And then in 171 BC, this same guy went and completely desecrated the Holy of Holies. Like completely tore it apart. Disrespected it, tore it down. So not only do we not have God speaking to us, we're now captured, and the holies of holies, which represented the presence, the seat of God, is now desecrated. This is a really, really great 400 years. And not only that, the priesthood that began with Aaron and Moses had taken a really, really downward turn. 
Because what happened is the priesthood that was meant as the pastors and the caregivers of the people of God had been broken into two factions. The one faction was the Sadducees. The Sadducees tend to be a lot more liberal. They took a more liberal stance and appreciated and pulled in some of the Greek mythology and, and some of the Greek way of living and, and, and believed also that, that the, the, the religious law and God had nothing to do, should not have anything to do with government. So this is, this is one side. The other side of this faction is you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the conservative zealots that they had written this whole law and worked out this whole new thing and, and, and perfected the law of the Old Testament and all this kind of stuff. But what had happened is they actually had shown and proven that care for the people and the concerns of the people was actually meaningless. In both cases, the priesthood that was there to minister before God on behalf of the people had gotten sidetracked on their own agendas. So the people are left going, God hasn't spoken for 400 years and we're in captivity and the holy place was desecrated and now the people that are supposed to pastor us don't even care about us. What a hopeless situation that these people were in. And it was in all of this that then John says, hey, Prepare the way for the Lord. Excuse me, what? What, 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 what? what does that mean? Oh, I'm gonna baptize you with water, but the one coming is gonna baptize you in fire. What, who's the one coming? There, there's someone coming? There, t- tell me more. Their ears, they were on edge. What, what's happening? And then Jesus comes, and on that mountain pulls everyone together. After all of that terrible stuff that had happened to them over the last 400 years, he goes, hey, blessed. You know, people are going, that's it? 400 years, blessed? That's it. Oh, no, 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 there's more. Blessed are the poor. Yeah, that's me. Blessed are those who mourn. Yep, been there, done that. Got the shirt, had a One Life logo on it. (laughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Yeah, I've been there too. And then he starts to weave in what the blessing of the kingdom looked like. And he started to drop in an upside down culture where the things that they had lived in for those last many, many years that would have been looked at as things that were detriments. He said, no, 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 no. They're actually blessings because in them is where you receive the true blessing for your life. And so this is what Jesus begins to speak into. With Jesus, blessing had arrived. A new season had arrived. What does blessing mean? It's the Greek word makarios, which means happy, fortunate. You're rich, better than. So he's saying, hey, you're blessed. You're fortunate. You're rich. You're happy. Who, who is this guy? Like, anybody know who this guy is, right? But he brings this kingdom culture. Here's what's so powerful about Jesus. When Jesus speaks, his words create life. So in the declaring over his people, you are blessed when you are poor. When you mourn, you are blessed. He's speaking creation life into those people. 
He's not saying, yeah, this is, this is kind of hopefully will be the way it is. He's saying, no, 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 no. You are blessed. In other words, Jesus pronounces blessing on his people. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. I'm not up here to go down that rabbit trail. I'm merely saying God promised something and it was fulfilled in Jesus. So when Jesus stood up and said, hey, you're blessed because I'm here, all the Bible had led up to that moment right there for him to be able to declare this about himself. Pretty cool. So Jesus, in other words, as he's laying all of this kingdom culture stuff out, he's in essence telling everyone, if you deny yourself, if you pick up your cross, if you recognize your poverty, which brings you to mourning, and your absolute dependence on Christ because of hunger and thirst is not even there, and, and you're, you're hungry, and you, you, if you recognize what you don't have, He's offering what the benefit package of the kingdom of heaven is. Here's the benefit package of the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, this is what you get. Oh, man. So people start, ears start pricking up. Now, what does beatitude mean? First blank. Beatitude means this, and I really like this, supreme blessedness. Supreme blessedness. Everyone remember uh, a few years ago, it was really popular. It's still around, but um, the, the brand Supreme, anybody ever, a few people probably did. It was very, very popular with like the young adult and the, the college age, you know, crowd. It was like, it was, it was the thing, right? And it was it literally, it was a Hanes t-shirt with a little Supreme logo that cost $300. I'm just saying. There, at, at Portland Bible College, we would have college students that were devout, devout studiers of the word that would stay up until midnight when the next shirt went live so that they could spend their $300 and get it before it sold out, right? They come to class the next day and they're like, like, oh, what? Were you up studying for the paper? Paper? You know, like, huh, huh. no, I got the new Supreme shirt. Oh, wow, $300, $300. Wow, great. Now you're tired, broke, and you failed. That's cool. That's great. It was just, it was, it was fantastic. Supreme, they stated this whole thing as if you had all these things, you were supreme, better than, superior than anybody else. If you bought the shirt, if you had the socks, they had underwear, underwear for $50. I'm like, how do you, you're spending $50 at midnight. Get the underwear, get the underwear. No one's ever going to see them. <laughs> but they've got Supreme on them. I go down a rabbit trail. Anyway, my whole point is this. It was an act of the world to say, if you have these things, you're Supreme. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You have Supreme blessedness because I am Supreme blessedness. You have me, you have it all. This is the idea around this. Um, Anybody like jelly bellies? Yeah. Okay. Anybody want a jelly belly? Yeah. Okay. Online, forgive me for just a minute. I will be back. Okay. Raise your hand if you want a jelly belly. Okay. All right. Jelly belly. Here. Here's some. Here's some jelly bellies. Okay. Here you go. Here you go. I don't have them for everybody, but okay. Now we'll go over here on this side. Okay. 
coming. Hi, online. I'll be back. All right. Okay, here we go. Jelly bellies. Okay. Anybody else? Back row. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. All right. Zoe, want them? I was surprised your hand wasn't up. All right. There you go. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. All right. So jelly bellies. Hey, uh, Jax, I love you. Come see me afterwards. <clears throat> jelly bellies, right? Now, how many of you felt kind of blessed? Well, I just got some jelly bellies at church. And those who didn't are like, this is lame. I'm leaving. I will never come back ever again. Here's the idea behind supreme blessedness while I catch my breath. You know, you hit 38 and... uh, Praise the Lord. You know, I think we just need to wait quietly before the Lord. Maybe for the next 20 minutes or so. (laughs) Um, That's kind of cool. Get a jelly belly. Ah, that's awesome. That's great. That's so cool. But that's not the idea of blessing. Oh, I got a jelly belly. I'm blessed. No, the idea of supreme blessedness is this. This is the jelly belly store in Panama City with thousands of calories and thousands of cavities. I mean, look at all those, like the drums and drums. Look at all, every variety you could ever want, endless amounts that are there. This is not blessing. This is blessing. When Jesus comes to speak to his people, and when he ushers in the kingdom culture and the blessing that he has, he's not saying, oh, you're blessed. Oh, you're you're blessed. He says, no, you're blessed. Now, how many would like that over this? But the thing is, how many of us actually go for this? How many of us actually settle for this? How many of us look to all the things that the world says, hey, if you get all these things in order, you're blessed. And God's going, no, 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 no. You haven't even begun to imagine the blessing that I'm giving you. Just simply because your sins are paid for. Like just don't go anywhere else except for that fact right there. Because here's the thing, is without an understanding of the blessing of God, we understand that we are the ones who pay for our own sins. And I don't know about you, but I have no way of paying for my sins. Jesus comes and says, now I got that for you. So don't settle for this. Don't settle for this. Even in your own mind and your heart, believe that the blessing of the Lord is for you. Now, now here's where the Beatitudes get into because, you know, we could think about monetary blessing and, and things and, and give, don't get me wrong. God loves to bless his kids. He just does. That's just the kind of dad he is. He loves to bless his kids. Sometimes we don't see how that blessing is real, but it is. Monetary blessings, the blessings of things, and all of this is, is amazing. But what the Beatitudes are talking about is a spiritual blessing. A spiritual blessing that cannot be achieved any other way. This is what Jesus is talking about. 
So he starts going through, blessed, blessed. Ephesians 1 says this, blessed is God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Kingdom blessing goes way beyond just the natural. You have been given every spiritual blessing, spiritual blessing. Have you been giving natural blessings? Absolutely. But you've been given every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And 2 Peter 1 says, his divine power, get this, has given us everything required for life and godliness. Did you know that in the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that you have been given everything, everything for life and godliness? No lack. There's no lack in Christ. And this is the truth of this. this is, and, and those are some amazing uh, New Testament passages. But this is what's really cool is they all hearken back to Deuteronomy 28. And in Deuteronomy 28 is when the, origini, the original of, this, of this, um, this blessing is poured out. Deuteronomy says this, all these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. What are they? You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Your offspring will be blessed and your land's produce and the offspring of your livestock, including the young of the herds and the newborns of your flock. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be blessed. Right there, I have that highlighted so much in my Bible. I am so thankful that my basket and my kneading bowl are blessed. I mean, you think I'm kidding. I am. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. A blessing that originated all the way back then has carried through. Blessed, blessed, blessed. If you have a hard time in your life right now believing that because of the natural circumstances that you see around you, I want you to hear today from me. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're blessed with the forgiveness of your sin. You're blessed with the fact that he hasn't just saved you, but he's sanctifying you. And he's renewing your life. And he's bringing you a joy and a peace that the world cannot bring. It's a lot easier to try to strive for and get joy and peace and try to get those things from the world. But it's a lot more fulfilling and real when it comes from him. This is this, is this blessing that's there. So now Jesus is going to jump into what this blessing looks like and how it affects our lives. But the way he does this is he's going to talk about what kingdom blessing is. Kingdom blessing is a little bit different than worldly blessing, okay? He's going to declare the things that bring true joy and fulfillment, and they're not what we automatically think. Ruh-roh. <laughs> because suddenly now, we think blessing. Like, give me the Lamborghini and the big house. He's like... No. <laughs> Rats. So this is what he does. He jumps into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But what's their blessing? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That, that, that's a promise. 
Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Are you sure? (laughs) For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He lays out here what a kingdom culture and blessing within the kingdom looks like. And it's different, very different than what you and I face on a daily basis, wouldn't you say? We look at blessing, we look at all those things, and it's really easy to start to compare the natural physical things with others and and base our standing before God out of those ways. But none of that shows God's favoritism. None of that shows God's favoritism. So he lays out this beautiful, beautiful way of viewing things. He says that these are the words that bring blessing that don't normally do that. Poor, mourning, hunger, and thirst. The interesting thing is that the first one of these is actually the setup for everything else. In fact, number three on your notes, poorness of spirit sets up all the other beatitudes. If I had more time, I'd go into this a little bit, but there's actually a progression in the beatitudes that as we get and process the first one, then the second one comes, and it's, it's a progression of our walk before Christ. Maybe I'll get to unpack that next week a little bit. It's actually really kind of cool, right? You begin with this place of poorness of spirit that leads you to a spiritual mourning. If you recognize what you don't have in the depravity of your spirit, it will lead you to mourning, which then will lead you to all of the other ones. It will lead you to humility and, and on and on and on. It's just really cool. But it all begins with this first one. Here's why. The order is really, really important because in order for anything else to work out of the Beatitudes, we need to start by the fact that we have nothing on our own. Okay, we we won't go any further with anything else that Jesus is gonna say until we understand that we do not have anything on our own. Thank God that the first Beatitude was not blessed are the pure in heart. God didn't, Jesus didn't start with that. He didn't say, hey, blessed are you when you're pure. Oh my God, I have to be pure? Like, how do you, how am I gonna do that? He says, no, 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 blessed are you when you, when you don't have. Spurgeon says it this way, not what we have, but what we have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. This is the setup. It's not what I have. It's what I don't have. When we get that specific thing right, we get all the rest of it right. This is why this is important because as long as we believe that we somehow add to our spiritual wealth, we will never receive from God and we are absolutely need, what we absolutely need to be saved. The second we buy into the lie that, that I do something to add to my spiritual wealth, we, we've missed it. We can't do anything to add to that aside from what he can do. Now, now, are there things that you do to develop your relationship with Jesus, to develop your walk with him? Absolutely. But anything that's added to your life is added because of him yeah. in us. 
This is a big important thing for us to be able to understand. This beatitude can only be fulfilled by an utter and complete dependence on God. It's coming to the point to say, God, I have nothing. You ever have one of those days where you wake up and you're just like, yeah, I got nothing. I mean, be honest, we all have them. I got nothing today, God. Those are the days that we find his strength coming into our life. I'll tell you this right now, when it comes to writing messages, this is an area for me that I realize that in a really big way. Because if I go into writing a message and I'm like, oh, I got these cool ideas or I got these cool illustrations and I want to believe that this was a God illustration, not a me illustration, so I'm just going to go with that. But if I get into this and I've got this whole thing figured out and I've got this all processed, I'm like, ah, it's good, it's good. I know that I'm in the wrong place. It's when I go to prep a message and say, God, I recognize I got nothing here unless you put it in me for your people. And that is when the power comes out of the word. Now his word always goes out, never returns void. So whether I speak a good message or not, doesn't matter. His word goes out and produces fruit. So we're not arguing that, right? Like that's never up for question. But I do find that when my preparation starts on my face before the Lord saying, I have nothing and I need everything you have. There's an exchange. Happened this week. I've got this all dialed in. It's great. Just not quite there. Uh, Wrestling. Go back and he's like, can can I now share what I want you to share? Oh, okay. Okay. as long as it's close to what I had. <laughs> it never is. That's not true. It actually is sometimes. The idea of this word poor, this, this word poor, funny, funny story about this, this word. Um, I, I sometimes mix words up <clears throat> just in life. Um, there, there, and there was always really a challenge for me. Maybe until my adult years, but I'm just saying. Uh, still might not have it all figured out. Um, but poor and poor, I've, I've had a hard time with. I'm just, I'm being very vulnerable before you today. I would appreciate that you would not reject me as a person. There was one specific time where my wife texted me and one of our kids was sick and she said, what? Oh, it was multiple times. I was getting to that. Definitely feel the judgment. (laughs) Anyways, she texted and said that one of our daughters was sick. And I responded with, poor girl, P.O., you are. I've heard about that story from my wife in so many circles of friends. It's just, it's crazy. So poor and poor have always been a, a hard one for me. The Greek word, the correct Greek word for the correct English word that Jesus is talking about in this moment is to actually has two Greek definitions in the New Testament, okay? The first of the Greek definitions is to not have enough, not have enough, to be lacking in some way. You're poor, right? The second definition, and this is the one that Jesus is actually talking about, is having nothing at all. It's not that you're just lacking, it's you have nothing. So he says, listen, you're blessed with the kingdom of heaven when you realize 
you have nothing. Yeah. Now that's counterculture. Yeah. Because you sit there going, so wait, I'm, I, I, you, you, you're telling me that I got nothing? Then that's where I need to start from? Yeah, that's where the blessing comes in. So this is, this is what Jesus is communicating in this. Now, in culture today, in our world, there's a lot of voices that will tell you um, that you have things, that you have what it takes to make you something supreme. You can buy these clothing for stupid prices and you've made it. This is a really sobering scripture, Revelation 3. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea in Revelation. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot, meaning you're not on fire for me, but you're not totally rejecting of me. You're just in the middle. He says, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now that's an encouraging statement. Why? This is important. For you say, I'm rich. For you say, I become wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So what, is, what does the kingdom of this age want to do? Blind us so that we can't receive what Jesus wants to give us. So we can either walk around blind, trying to achieve everything that everybody says, the job status, the, all of those things. Or we can allow the culture of the kingdom of heaven to shape us, which is a lot harder to do than it actually sounds. Matthew 16 says this, for what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and loses his life. Another translation says loses his soul. Or what will he give in exchange for his life? Blessing of the Lord comes when we realize that Jesus is the only one that can give us and what he can give us is far greater than anything that we can muster up. Anything that we can muster up. I wanna give you just an example from the Bible here of someone that receives spiritual blessing, and that's Abram. In the Old Testament, Abram was just a man living in his, his country where he was, and, uh, and God came to him in Genesis 12. He said, listen, I want you to leave your country, your family, and I want you to go to a place that I'm gonna show you. He's going, okay. So Abram started out as a foreigner, as a sojourner, having nothing to his name, including a son. He had no offspring. But he listened to what God said, and he followed him. So he went on this journey. He was wandering around for a while, and then in Genesis 15, God comes to him and says in Genesis 15 and verse 1, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, that's, that's kind of a cool 
promise. That, that, that's kind of a cool blessing. I'm, I'm your reward. That, that's great. That's great. But what does that look like? In Genesis 15 and then verse 6, Abraham fell into a very, very, very deep sleep. I'm sorry, back up a second. God takes Abram out of his tent and shows him the stars and says, these are going to be your descendants. Abram's going, how? I don't even have a kid. You want to pour out all this blessing and this inheritance and all of these things. I, don't, I can't do anything to achieve that. That's the whole point. So what happens? Abraham goes into a deep sleep. God says, I want you to take some animals and split them in half. And this was an Old Testament sign of a covenant. They would cut the animals in two and they would lay them apart. And the two people that were making um, the covenant would walk between the animals together. And it would prove that there was now a covenant relationship between the two. Abram goes into this deep sleep. And what happens? God comes in in, in the form of a, a smoking pot and a torch. And God doesn't go through with Abram. Abram stays, God walks through. Meaning this, Abram had nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with fulfilling the promise that God had made. He also was not part of keeping the covenant because God was gonna be the one keeping the covenant. See, See, it's when we understand that we have nothing. Abram couldn't do anything. He didn't have a kid, one kid. He didn't have a kid. How is he going to have descendants as multiple as the stars? And like, figure that one out. Nothing. And not only that, he's not even wanted to go through and make the covenant about this. Why? Because God said, no, no, it's all on me, Abram. It's not on you. It's on me. So here's Abram, empty, with nothing, not even a kid, nothing, just sits there. I don't know how this is going to happen. And God says, because I'm God, that's how it's going to happen. And so he walks through and makes this amazing things happen. So what happened? He was blessed with a son and with great wealth. And he received eternal life because his life of faith, not because of what he did. Hear that. In Hebrews 11, he is attributed as one of the heroes of the faith because he heard what God said and believed God. And that is how he got eternal life. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He was just a dude. God did everything. That's true in our lives too. And this is what Jesus is saying. Blessed, you're blessed, you're supremely blessed above anything else that you could possibly think or imagine when you understand that you have nothing to do with it. You're poor. And that poorness is where you gain everything. That's kind of a cool promise. It's a really cool promise. We're, we're doing this book with um, our kids right now every Friday, and it's 40 pictures of who Jesus is throughout the Bible. It's a very, very, very cool book. And, uh, and we're going through, and this last week on Friday, we went through this exact story. It's no coincidence. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I heard it when Ellie was reading it to our kids. I was like, that's... Can I have that? Can I? Okay, cool. Thank you. All right. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a paragraph in here that I absolutely love, and this pertains to the blessing that God wants to bring to our life that we have nothing to do with and how it pertained to Abram as well. If you are a child of God, you are a child of Abraham. 
one of those stars was lit for you. Isn't that cool? One of the stars, he, wow, those descendants. Jason, that's Jason. No, he didn't say that. It's a new theology. Don't go down that rabbit hole. You are loved and pursued as Abraham was. You are forgiven and righteous. You will have blessing and great inheritance. You are blessed to be a blessing. And God, the covenant keeper, assures all these blessings through the blood of his son, Jesus. Like Abraham, we could never keep the covenant on our own. So the son of God gives his own life and we must believe. He's given us everything. This is why I was really excited about this message is because um, understanding what the true blessing that the Beatitudes is talking about is Jesus, is him. It's the person of Jesus and the fulfillment of that. So what is the greatest blessing? Just to bring this all to a close and then we're gonna close today. The greatest blessing John 3, 16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. You didn't earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. He gave. Oh man, what a blessing. Apart from Jesus, I pay for my own sins. But Romans 6 says this, for the wages of your sin is death. What you deserve is death. Congratulations. But the gift of God, the blessing of God, the jelly bellies of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm really glad I don't have to figure this out and try to earn something up on my own. Anybody else really thankful for that? Man, I think about that and I'm just like, I'm really, really glad it's not up to me. It's up to him. So, as we end, when we have nothing, Jesus gives everything. What do we walk away with? You're blessed. Supremely blessed. Not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is. My hope and my prayer is that that actually changes how we live life. Because if you can imagine the church living out their identity and their security in Christ and the blessing that the Lord wants to pour out to his people, I think we would live a little bit differently. The world brings in and everything that the world offers leads to a poverty mindset if you don't have. With kingdom culture, the poverty mindset brings blessing. That's backwards. God's good. Um, First one, first one got through it. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
Um, Today, as we get ready to close, I always want to give an opportunity for anybody that may be in the room or online who's watching, who um, maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, is that the blessing of Jesus Christ, the blessing of the salvation of your soul because of his death and resurrection from the cross, taking the penalty for all your sin on himself when he died, Maybe you are in that same place today that I mentioned where you are at a place of still paying for your own sins. And the weight of sin of like, I just have to be good enough and I can't be good enough. And how am I supposed to figure all this out? I got news for you. There's a blessing of forgiveness and there's a blessing of salvation. And when Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, he took every wrong thing. That's what sin is. It's everything that separates you from a relationship with God. He took it on himself when he died on the cross. And because of that, we are blessed with a relationship with God the Father because of Jesus. Today, if you're here and you don't have one of those, the relationship with God, and I'm telling you, it is a cool relationship. But if you're here and you don't have that relationship or you're online and you don't have a relationship, I want to give you an opportunity today to begin it. And the Bible very simply talks about this, that the beginning of that relationship is to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. Now that's great. But what it is, is it's the beginning of a journey of developing a relationship with God. Now that's way better than an insurance policy to keep you out of hell. So if you're here in this place or online, we're all gonna pray a prayer here together. We do that because we're all family. But if you're here and you're far from God and you wanna pray that prayer today for the first time, or maybe you've, you've, you've walked away from the Lord, but you're like, you know what? I, I wanna live under that blessing. That sounds way better than what I'm trying to come up with. I want you to pray this prayer with faith in your heart to believe that what you're saying today is gonna to make a change in your life. Let's, let's close our eyes and pray this together. Jesus, I recognize that I'm carrying my sin and I've lived under the weight of it. But today, I receive the blessing of forgiveness for my life. Anything I've ever done Anything I ever will do is covered by the blood of Jesus. And today, I give you my life. I give you my heart. And I declare today, you are my Lord and you are my God. And I thank you for the blessing of salvation. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together. Amen. Come on. Can we do this? Can we put our hands together for everybody that prayed that prayer for the first time today?